Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Buddy Walls. Today's Bible lesson is on Rapture Ready. Rapture Ready. Some folks have borrowed the term Rapture from us, but they did not start out with it. Most denominations do not believe biblically anything about the Rapture of the Church. I am not going to set a time for the Rapture because I don't know when it is going to take place and you don't either. And neither does anyone else. I don't care what they tell you. They don't know when the rapture is going to take place. It doesn't matter how heavy the signs are. You will still never know until you hear the trumpet. Don't bother trying to set dates. There is evidence about the rapture in the Bible. There is a set date, but we don't know where our calendar is. So you don't know anyway. There's all kind of clues to the maximum time, but the problem is with our calendar. There are 120 jubilees. That is 6,000 years. Anyway, you look in the book, it is 6,000 years. But when did they start? Where are we at now and what year is this? You don't know and nobody else does. Personally, I believe God engineered it that way so we wouldn't set dates for the rapture. You can be assured of one thing. It has been almost 2,000 years since Jesus was here. So we are in the neighborhood. We are in the generation. There is not much question about that, I don't think. But what is the rapture? Before we get into when the rapture is, and again, I am not setting dates I'm going to show you when it is in respect to the other end time events and prophecies. Before we get into that maybe we just need to talk about the rapture itself for a minute and see what it is. You won't find the word rapture in the Bible and some of the enemies of the book will use that against you but that means absolutely nothing. There is a lot of terminology we Christians use that you don't find in the Bible. That proves nothing at all. The word rapture is just a term that Christians have adopted to designate the end of the church age, that time when the Lord is going to remove his body, the church, from this earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 55 is one of the most detailed passages in the scriptures about the rapture. The Bible said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Psalm 103 defines the word sleep as physical death. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we, in other words, which are alive and remain, shall be changed at that last trump, the dead Christians are going to be raised from the graves, and the living Christians are going to be transformed. They are going to be changed. For this corruptible, that is the dead Christian, the body that is decayed, must pass on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal in other words, the living Christian that is subject to death shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the same that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? 
O grave, where is thy victory? Grave or hell? Now you may die, but the grave will not be victorious over you because you are saved. You are coming back out of it one day, just like your Savior did. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, another detailed passage on the rapture of the church. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. We have already seen that means those Christians that are physically dead. This passage was written 54 A.D., the chronology given here. It is several years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ back to heaven. Paul had established a church at Thessalonica, and some of the early converts had already died. Paul preached about the kingdom and reigning with the Lord and all those uh, things. Those So those Christians that remain began to wonder about those who died. Are they going to miss out on the kingdom? They certainly won't be there when Jesus comes back. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want to explain it to you. That ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, do we believe that? And rose again, do we believe that? Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus Christ, in Jesus will God bring with him. He said, if you can believe that Jesus died, if you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then you can believe that when the Lord comes back, he will bring those dead saints with him. They are not going to be left in the graves. For this we say you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, prevent or come before or anticipate or precede. For the Lord himself, this is uh, no job for any minor archangel or any peon cherubim. This is the bridegroom coming for his bride. He is coming himself. That is why at a wedding, uh, when the bride comes marching down the aisle, she stops and the groom goes down to receive his bride. That is a picture of the rapture of the church. Shall ascend from heaven with a shout. I wonder what he is going to say. He is going to say, Hallelujah, there is my bride. You see, the bridegroom is thrilled when his bride comes marching up the aisle. You have been to a wedding, how the bridegroom stands there nervous and fidgeting, and all of a sudden the back door opens, and there she is, and that's all he sees. Jesus is going to shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. There is going to be quite a fanfare going on, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Have you ever heard someone say, you are making so much noise you are going to raise the dead? That is where they got it. That is, there is going to be so much noise at the rapture, it is going to raise those saints out of the grave. Then we which are alive, all of the events in verse 16 take place before you if you are still living. You experience a change, but it is all going to take place in the twinkling of an eye. 
and remain shall be caught up together with them. Those dead saints in verse 15 in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. In other words comfort or exhort. That is why we don't sorrow as others which have no hope. When we go to the funeral of a Christian we know that they are coming up out of the grave one of these days. It is just a temporary goodbye, and really they are not dead at all. They are just with the Lord. We have got nothing to cry about. We should be shouting praises at funerals. The Lord is going to descend from heaven. He will have one purpose in his mind when he returns in the air. He is coming after his bride. There is the eloquence, elopement of the church. That is why he is coming as a thief in the night. He is going to sneak up on this world, get his bride, and take her to his father's house. He is going to snatch her away from this place out of the grasp of Satan. The devil is going to try to prevent you from going up in the rapture. He is going to try to prevent the saints from coming out of the graves and prevent those that are living from being changed. Of course, he is a defeated foe. It won't make any difference at all. When the preacher says, does anyone object to this union? The preacher is going to be the father, and it won't be a Catholic father either. He is the one who is going to perform the marriage. The devil is going to say, I do. And the Lord is going to rebuke him, shut his mouth, and take his bride out of here. Still, the devil is going to try to prevent the church from leaving this world. The dead are going to be resurrected, says 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 through 50. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, with that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is shown in weakness, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is grown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How about that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy, 
And the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such as they are also heavenly. And we have been born the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. The living saints are going to be caught up, changed, or the word which we use, raptured. If you look up the word rapture in the dictionary, you don't need to look it up in the Bible. You won't find it. It means to be overjoyed and so thrilled and so beside yourself with joy that you are just beside yourself. You are so filled with joy that is the way it is going to be when we see the bridegroom. We are all going to recognize him. I have seen some poor excuses of pictures, but none of them look like my Savior. We are going to recognize him immediately, and we are going to be filled with joy. We are going to be raptured when the Lord comes back. Here's some viewpoints concerning the rapture. There are three basic viewpoints concerning the rapture. Number one is called amillennialism. In other words, no kingdom, no rapture. There is a viewpoint that there will be no rapture at all, and this is where we will continue on until God gets sick and tired of it and brings on the judgment, and that's the end of it. That is the viewpoint of the National Council of Churches and all of the, its denominations, which include most Protestant denominations. They don't believe in a kingdom. They don't believe in a rapture. They believe that this world is finally coming to an end and God is going to bring everyone out of it and then judge everyone. And then judge everyone. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. That shows that they can't read because the sheep and goat parable of Matthew 25 is not talking about people anyway. They believe God is going to have a general judgment and the sheep are going to heaven and the goats are going to hell and that is where eternity begins. You will not find that in the Bible at all. Number two, post-millennialism. No rapture church makes world better for the kingdom. It is very similar, similar because post-millennialism teaches that the church is going to make the world better and better and better until it is finally good enough that the king can come back. Jesus will come back at the end of the thousand years and take over. In other words, the church will bring in the kingdom. That idea is held by a lot of denominations, but it is not as popular today as it was 50 years ago. It has fallen by the wayside for a lot of folks. The Bible teaches that there is going to be a time of seven years known as the tribulation period, and the last three and a half is known as the great tribulation. That is when the wrath of God is going to be poured out, and somewhere in the time when the rapture is going to take place after those seven years, there will be a millennial kingdom for a thousand years. You have two basic viewpoints on this idea. The first is pre-tribulationists believe that the rapture will take place before the tribulation begins. 
Then you have the mid-tribulationalists believe that the rapture will take place at the midpoint in the tribulation. What in the world will cause a preacher to preach that the rapture will happen at mid-tribulation? It does not make any sense. The first three and a half years are a peace, a false peace. What would you be worried about? It shows he does not know anything about his Bible. What difference does it make, then, when which one is right? It makes a lot of difference. First, the correct viewpoint, the one that is taught in the Bible, uh, and the only one, is pre-tribulation. God only teaches one way about anything. That is why we should study to show ourselves approved. The correct viewpoint is very important and makes a big difference in what we believe, not only on the rapture but everything else. To believe a false teaching in the face of truth is calling God a liar. If I don't believe the record that God gave me, I'm calling him a liar. If I teach a false teaching, I'm a heretic. If we associate with those that teach false doctrines, we lose rewards. Now I'd like to ask you one question in closing. Are you 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven? If you're 35%, 50%, 75%, even 99% sure that you're going to go to heaven, that's not going to work. You're going to miss the boat. But God wants you to know 100% for sure that you are going to heaven. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. But the first thing we got to do is we got to recognize that we are a born sinner. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and we all have sinned. But if we recognize that first of all and then repent of that sin, in other words, give it up. In other words, you can repent a thousand times. It won't do you one bit of good until you actually forsake that sin. Give it up. Go another direction. And then believe in the finished work of the cross. Believe that Jesus was crucified. That he died for the sins of man. That he was put in a that that, that he was a put in a grave, borrowed tomb, and three days later rose from the dead and is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. If you believe that with all your heart and soul, the Bible says you shall be saved. It don't say you might be. It says you shall be saved. And that's what we have to do to gain eternal life. And that is the most important thing in our existence is whether we're going to spend eternity in heaven. I hope you enjoyed this and we'll catch you later down the road. Dr. Buddy Wall signing off.